Okay. <clears throat> well, it's good to see everybody here. It's good to welcome Andrew. You're welcome anytime with your six foot four frame. That's cool. Uh, responsive prayer 1, 282. And then I'll have uh, selected portions of Ephesians 5 um, as the reading, which will then kind of uh, also take us into our study of the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandment. And hopefully some, some uh, insights that you might not have thought about and that will be helpful to you as a confessing Christian. You know, how do we live where God has called us to live and why is it important? So let's begin with responsive prayer one. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, have mercy and hear us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. Lord, keep this nation under your care and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. <laughs> Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Gracious Jesus, our Lord and our God, at this hour you bore our sins in your own body on the tree, so that we, being dead to sin, might live unto righteousness. Have mercy upon us now and at the hour of our death, and grant to us, your servants, with all others who devoutly remember your blessed passion, a holy and peaceful life in this world, and through your grace, eternal glory in the life to come, where with the Father and the Holy Spirit you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. All right, and then Ephesians 5, and <clears throat> I'm going to kind of refer to this um, throughout the hour or so we have together. Let me uh, have you refresh your memory here. What is the fourth commandment, everybody? Honor, Honor your, your father, father and your mother. mother. What does this mean? We should, we should fear, fear and love God, 
so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. So you got the commandment and then the explanation in the catechism. Notice the people who are mentioned in the explanation. Well, from the, first, from the fourth commandment, father, mother. So honor your father and your mother so you're addressing children. In the explanation, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. So you got father, mother, children at the very nucleus and heart of the fourth commandment. So if I were to ask you on the basis of that, what gift does God wish to protect uh, with the fourth commandment? Yeah, see, sometimes I, I also emphasize, you know, parental authority or God's authority in father and mother or God's authority in the earthly realm. But I began this way because I want you to see that under the fourth commandment, he wants to protect the gift of family, which involves father, mother, children, okay? which has, remember in our discussions about this, it has a Trinitarian shape to it, right? So you got father, mother, children. So we're made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love for the giving and receiving of love, the giving and receiving of life, right? So here, he made them male and female and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So the, the fruitfulness and the dominion are woven together in what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. So the fourth commandment is the first commandment in the second table of the law. You know, last month we looked at the first table of the law, the first three commandments, our relationship to God as individuals. But the fourth through the tenth commandment all has about relationships with one another. There's, there's no such thing really in God's point of view as being an island unto yourself. And if you think about your own life, I mean, you, you have a pretty important relationship with your parents because without them, you wouldn't exist. And then uh, most of you have siblings, so that's part of the family as well. Our other stations and callings in life, you know, what would I be as a pastor without the congregation? You know, preach to myself, which I have to do all the time anyway, but, uh, you know, I'm a pastor for the benefit of the congregation. So, God wishes to protect the gift of family under the fourth commandment as sacred and holy as God has ordered it. Um, even in the so-called... Uh, gender identity, change of gender, no one in the history of civilization, including in current times, can truly change their biological gender. Because if they could, then a man who changes into a woman, quote unquote, would be able to have children. But that's not that's not possible, okay? So uh, what, when we were talking about dating and so forth uh, the two times before this, uh, I tried to hold up to you the idea of the sanctity of our fleshly existence, the holiness of it. And, you know, without the, without the sexual union of a, of a man and a woman, there would be no father or mother, and there'd be no children. And so that's a very holy and sacred thing, and I don't think we can extol it high enough. That's why we need to see um, the gift of sexuality as we we're talking about in marriage and, and dating and courtship as um, really a holy and sacred thing, almost like a sacrament of the giving and receiving of love and life within the bonds of Christian marriage. So it's a holy thing. That's why it's not a, you know, one night stand here today, gone tomorrow, move on to somebody else, which is fundamentally so selfish and self-centered. Okay, <clears throat> let's go see if I still have room for it. What is the fifth commandment? 
You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Now, I have room for this over here. Yes? I don't have sheets today. Because <coughs> you, you have the catechism written in your, in your heart, right, and in your mind. Okay. We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body but help and support him in every physical need. What I think is interesting about the small catechism's explanation here is we know from the Bible elsewhere that murder is not just the physical act of, you know, killing coal, right? What else does it involve? Not only the physical act of killing is murder. John? Hayden, I hate you. I hate you. I wish you were dead. Okay? That, that grudge bearing and hatred is also murder. Jesus says this when he says, You've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say to you, whoever is angry, sorry, Cole, will be in danger of the judgment. Right? So that's a significant thing. But what the small catechism emphasizes is the body, the physicality of the body. We should not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. You know, if I hate Nathan, but I hate him secretly, it doesn't harm him quite as much, does it? It harms me more than it harms him, right? If I hate him more than secretly and kill him, well, that, that has a pretty dramatic effect on his existence. And then it also has an effect on who else? His family. His family. And you. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Look at how we're all tied in. So if I actually engage in the physical act of murdering Nathan, it affects his family, his siblings, his grandparents. It affects my life, my family, the congregation. Yes, Daniel. Of course you can. All right, so, but the catechism emphasizes body. And you can see the difference, you know, once you get to that stage, then the sin gets ratcheted up to a, to a higher level. I mean, th I thank God I've never been angry with anyone. Just kidding. Okay. We all struggle with those sins. We're called to repent of them, to pray God's help against them, to cry out for the Lord's forgiveness so that I might not hurt or harm Nathan in his body. But, um, so, at the heart of the fifth commandment, though, is God's then protection of what? Life. Life. So, I've got room for this, right? We can just... So, God's gift of life. Now, more about this in a second. What's the sixth commandment? What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. Notice now how in all three of these commandments there's a fleshly, incarnational, concrete aspect to them, right? It's true, like under the fifth commandment, murder includes also hatred or anger. But finally, the killing of someone is murder. Here, it's true that adultery or fornication involves also lust. But if I lust after another woman but do nothing about it, does it do as much harm to my relationship with my wife as if I were to actually commit the physical act of adultery? No. Yes. no. Uh, which, which does most more harm? The physical, the, the physical act. Which doesn't mean that we're to ignore the adultery of the heart. Again, like the uh, grudge-bearing, hatred, anger here, it's a cause for repentance, confession, absolution, prayer. Okay? But if you, if you go all the way through with 
adulterous thoughts and carry them out into actions. It's far more devastating. Just like me murdering Nathan is far more devastating than the bitterness or anger I might harbor against him. It's just a final physical manifestation. It's, it's a final physical manifestation. But our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, became man for a reason. All of these things that are bound together, marriage, family, human sexuality, what it is to be male and female, are central to being created in image and likeness of God, are not only important to God, but it helps us understand why God became man, okay? And the flesh of Jesus. He was born of the Virgin Mary, who was married to Joseph at the time. That's the Holy Family, isn't it? And then in his sacrificial love, he helped and supported his neighbor in every physical need by the ultimate sacrifice of laying down his life in death for us. You see? And then he was faithful, leading a chaste and decent life, which I, I prefer that translation to sexually pure because chastity is, is, is a mindset of holiness living according to God's word. It's not just about sex, okay? So what does God wish to protect under the sixth commandment? Alex? Marriage? What else? Daniel? Yes, so human sexuality. And then I want you to think one more, given our discussions over the last few youth groups. Self, what's that? Well, courtship would be involved. But self-giving, sacrificial, sacra, what's the word? Love. Which is God's by nature. So, Andrew, we've been talking about how um, one God, three persons. What is God's nature? Love, the self-giving love, the sacrificial love, the love that gives life, that preserves life. And the ultimate expression of that is in Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. Uh, and so that helps us understand what it means to be made in the image and likeness of the one God who is nevertheless three persons, this community of love among the persons of the Trinity. Okay, so there you have it, what God wishes to protect. Why are these three, or what is the relationship of these three to each other? Will you guys talk about that for a minute? Alec? God's creation, he's preserving the creation. Again, the, the relationship of these commandments one to another. And Morgan. Human interaction. Human interaction. You want to elaborate on that? Make sure. Like the fourth commandment, like you said, it's directed towards fathers, mothers, and children. So like that aspect of being raised, and you wouldn't exist without your parents. The fifth commandment, your life, you know, you can't you can't kill somebody without any intent. So, without that manifestation of hatred, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but you get my point. And then the sixth commandment, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ranking it right now. That's all right. You want to help him out? You want to, you want to, he, he did fine so far. I have a headache. You want to, <laughs> now it's worse, right? Because you're, uh, relationship of these three to each other. And I'm, I'm, I'm especially wanting you to think about the gifts that God is protecting under these commandments. See, all too often, one of the things I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying to get you to think about is the Ten Commandments are not simply rules not to be broken. You know, like they have, they're just capricious, arbitrary rules. Like, take out the garbage. Why? Because I said so. There's more involved here uh, with these commandments. And that's why uh, encouraging you to think about them in the positive terms 
is significant. You know, what, what, just like in the first three commandments, God is saying, trust me in the first commandment. I made you, and I love you, and I've redeemed you. I'm not going to turn away from my love. Trust me. Well, that's, that casts things in a different life. When he says, you shall have no other gods, it's not because he's an egomaniac. You're not worshiping me. <laughs> that's not what God is like. Okay? He says you shall have no other gods because if we have enough, there's only one God that is creator and savior. So if we have some other God we trust in, we're in bad shape, you know. So I'm, I'm looking at the relationship. Morgan got a good start here. That protects the gift of family, those component parts, mother, father, children, life, and human sexuality and self-giving sacrificial love. So are you looking for the right answer? I, I'm looking just for, for you to, to stretch your thinking and articulate the relationship between these three commandments, especially in terms of the gifts that God wants to protect. How they relate, how they connect. Thomas. These commandments keep and preserve life, or create and preserve life? Yes. Want to keep going? Relationship between these three. The fourth to the fifth, the fifth to the sixth, the sixth to the fourth, the sixth to the fifth. You get, you get what I'm saying? Yes, Liesel. Her name is actually Lisa, but I call her Liesel. <laughs> to protect each other as neighbors from the fifth commandment because you, like as you were saying earlier, if you have the deep hatred for a cult, no offense, cult, um, but if you have that, that has to be internal before it becomes external which that's where the fifth commandment comes in. And with that, you also have the sixth commandment saying you want to lead a sexually pure and decent life, meaning you don't want to hurt him physically, which then points back to the fifth commandment. Is it one for the law of Israel protecting us from ourselves, from our evil? Well, and with the problem of sin, the law is protection against ourselves. It, it defines reality from God's point of view. It defines what is good. Uh, and because of the problem of sin, it does protect us from the self-centered sinful nature. Because remember, sin is always selfish. It's always self-centered. It's always self-absorbed. And with that, you seek out um, wisdom from your elders, which then is learn to trust and cherish them. So you're upset that you want to murder Cole, so then you go and seek counsel. See, see your pastor, talk to your parents, so on and so forth, private confession, an absolution with that. Okay. Anybody else want to add on to this or expand from any of this? I, yes, John. Um, it's like the connection between love and life. You love your spouse. Yeah, see, what I, I, I want you to, go ahead, Morgan. I was going to say, once you pointed out that, like, we can, just the relationships between two commandments at a time, with the fourth and fifth, without having a family, without mother, father, and children, you're not going to have a life. And if there's some hatred along the lines from somebody outside of your family, kills off a family and affects it, it can't, it can't prosper, it can't flourish. Between the fifth and sixth commandment, um, you, you aren't born without... Like intercourse, obviously, but you need to have the right thoughts and leading a chaste life before that happens. It needs to be done in the proper manner, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Like you can't, uh, no, if you know what I'm saying. But yes. Then between the fourth, the, the fourth and the sixth, without leading a chaste and decent life, it's impossible to even establish the thought of a family, because in order to have a family. Yeah how, yeah, how would it be if your uh, father were having uh, multiple affairs with other women against your mother? How would that be? Your mother? Well, against his mother. Oh. If his father were having multiple affairs against well, his mother. It makes me really it would, it would destroy the marriage 
and it would destroy the family. What I just want you to see is, in God's order, here, family is father, mother, offspring, children. Which is life, right? But it's ordered life. So the life spoken of in the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, is life in God's order. See, what I want you to think about is the world messes this up. Life is conceived and born and nurtured in the context of the family that God wishes to protect. Self-giving, sacrificial love is what makes the family good. It's love that is the love of commitment. Okay? Forsaking, like when your parents took their marriage vows, forsaking all others, be husband only to you or wife only to you. So family made up of these component parts as, as God has ordered it is for the procreation of life. The giving and receiving of love that creates life and that nurtures life. So the sexual act is more than just intercourse, it is the giving of life. And it's the giving of love. The two are bound up together. And it's a very, it's the highest physical, spiritual experience that we can be a part of as human beings. Outside of being born in baptism and partaking of Christ's body and blood in the sacrament. In our human relationships on the horizontal plane, this is of the highest order. Okay, and so you've got family, life is created from this. This is why the fidelity of marriage to lead a sexually pure and decent life is called for. So I just want you to see those relationships. I mean, without the gift of human sexuality and the giving and receiving of life and love here, there is no family, there is no life, and the life here is dependent upon that self-giving sacrificial love that is expressed in the physical union and so forth, okay? And there's an ordering to love, <clears throat> you know, the sacrificial self-giving love. There's an ordering according to our station in life, right? So I have the privilege uh, of being not only a man, but also a husband, and then a father, and a grandfather. Now, we can use the same words, but they mean different things. For example, I love my wife. Or if I say, I love you, and I express that love for her, physically, that means something far different than if I say to one of my sons, I love you, and I express that physically. You see, same words are used. I love my wife, I love my sons, or I love my grandchildren, or I love, as a pastor, members of the congregation. But how that love is expressed, there's a ordering to it that is right and a disordering which would be perverse. In other words, if I love my children the way I love my wife physically, you would be arrested, right? So there's a proper ordering, and even, even the pagan, unbelieving society still recognizes some of that, although the further corrupted our society is getting, the less and less is that Christian ordering um, recognized, okay? So, so <clears throat> that's part of what I wanted you to see in these commandments. I'm going to show it to you then in the fifth chapter of Ephesians and the sixth chapter of e Ephesians. We'll keep seeing how that section goes back and forth all around all of these commandments. And then Alec, the question that you asked about, do you have a sheet for us? I will, like next time, just like I had a sheet on uh, dating and courtship that I gave you the second time. So I wanted to chew on this a little bit with you now, and then we'll, we'll have another sheet in April. Okay? Um, any, any comments or questions so far? Yes, Morgan. I leave for Virginia in two months. Um, is there any way that I can get mail to Virginia? 
Yeah. yeah. And we can, can you uh, access the internet or are you? Yeah. I guess, because we can post them online too. Okay, good. Elijah, did you? Okay. So finally, before going into the reading here, one of the things that um, is a big goal of mine for our discussions is that you begin to see that being a Christian, believing in Christ and the order of God's creative design is actually a good thing, a way to uh, mental health, spiritual health, fulfillment, as opposed to believing what the world would tell you, that you're narrow-minded, bigoted, you know, close-minded, and so forth. No, the Christian gospel teaches us that the life we live as men and women and husbands and wives and parents and children is a blessed life. And the understanding of it is anchored in Christ's self-giving sacrificial love. So it's actually a good thing to be a man who shoulders the burdens of his wife and covers her sin and is willing to sacrifice himself for her. It's a good thing to have children and uh, to nurture them in the fear and knowledge of the Lord and to do the hard things that aren't easy but are necessary for children to thrive and to grow and so forth. It's actually a good thing uh, and constructive as opposed to destructive to lead a sexually pure and decent life with the spouse that God gave you uh, in your marriage. Okay, so to, to, to not to be, to be uh, unashamed of these things, but to hold up the positive aspects of marriage, family, human sexuality as God ordained it. So that's, that's kind of the bottom line, or at least what I'm, one of the big goals I have for you. Okay, Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Where on the board here is this part targeting? Sixth commandment, the self-giving sacrificial love. Not to the exclusion of the others, but I mean, that's, you see it there. To walk in the love of Christ is a good thing. It's the way to fulfillment. You know, it's the way to mental health. Now, bear in mind, our flesh hates it. Our flesh wants to live for me, myself, and I, and the rest of me, and to hell with anybody else. That's what the flesh wants. Okay? But the way to real fulfillment, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, is to live by faith in Christ in that self-giving love. Now notice verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. What commandment is being targeted there, either in what's on the board or in what you know from the catechism? But fornication and uncleanness, filthiness, coarse jesting, sixth commandment, sexually pure or, like I said at the beginning, I prefer chaste, chastity. Okay. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now we all struggle with sin. The idolater is the one who has abandoned any pretense of trying to be faithful, okay, and just pursues the appetites of the flesh. That's idolatry. So here, adultery under the sixth commandment is linked to idolatry, first commandment. That's why it says no idolater or fornicator will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we're constantly renouncing those things, fleeing from them to walk in the love of Christ, which is self-giving and sacrificial. All right. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Uh, the sons of disobedience are who? Unbelievers. Unbelievers who reject the gospel. Wrath of God, punishment, which includes consequences for actions. Okay, uh, the AIDS epidemic that was, it's, it's more under control today than it was in the 70s and 80s when I was a young person. But the AIDS, who, who got AIDS? Those who practiced homosexual sex and so forth. That's part of the wrath of God against disorder. I'll give you another example, sexually transmitted diseases. If your wife is chaste and you're chaste, you're never going to get a sexually transmitted disease because it comes from the disorder of self-centered uh, sexual experiences. So, therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So we have to obviously talk about some of these things under these commandments, hopefully in a way that is constructive rather than destructive. But I mean, uh, the world is filled with these shameful acts of abortion on demand to the final uh, days of a woman's pregnancy up to the day of, of birth. Uh, partial birth abortion where the feet come out first and then we stab the brain. And I mean, these are shameful, wicked, vile things, but it's all in the name of following not the self-giving sacrificial love, which is God's by nature, but you know, the self-centered love. Okay. So all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you, sleep, you who sleep, arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. So to live in the ordered way, like the catechism says, uh, not despising your parents, but honoring them, serving and obeying them, loving and cherishing them, helping and supporting your neighbor in every physical need, leading a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife learning to love and honor each other. That's a description of what's good. And that's what Jesus did. And if you think about how he honored Mary and Joseph, how he preserved life and saved life by the sacrifice of himself so that we would live and lived faithfully with his bride, the church, of which we are all children. He's committed to us like a husband and a father would be committed to his wife and to his children. Okay? We need to hold that up. This is actually good. And so one of the things that you need to do as single Christians is pray to be faithful. Pray for the gift of a godly spouse, a wife if you're a man, a husband if you're a woman. Pray for perseverance against Satan's attacks that wants you to do and live completely contrary to what you know is good. And if you're ever in doubt what is good and what is right in terms of marriage and family and commitment, you look to Christ who is the light of the world and you see it in him. Okay, so see then that you walk circumspectly. That means, you know, quietly, reflectively, according to your faith in the word, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be wise, unwise, excuse me, but understand what the will of God, what the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit fills us. That's why we study the Word of God through the Word. This is the means of the Spirit. You know, some of you are you're familiar with the uh, phrase means of grace, word and sacrament are the means of grace, preaching and teaching are the means of grace. I actually prefer using the expression means of the Spirit, the instruments of the Holy Spirit. 
which are what the means of grace are. But it, it identifies that the Holy Spirit actually comes to us through his word. When we read his word, when we hear preaching and teaching, and when we meditate and memorize it, the Holy Spirit is at work through that word to keep and preserve us. Okay, speaking to one another. Now this sounds like the congregation at prayer. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, that verse 21, I want you to go back to verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Think about this. Jesus actually submitted himself not only to the Father's will, but because he yielded to the Father's will, he also submitted himself to us, considering us as better than himself. Now, if he who had no sin considered us better than himself. That's a radical perspective, isn't it, of, of love. And that's why we worship him, because this kind of love is the path of salvation, of life with God, of fulfillment in human life. It's not always easy. It demands sacrifice as it did for him. But it is the way of fulfillment in our life with God. Okay, so then this submitting to one another uh, in the fear of God applies to husbands and wives and children, which is what follows next. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, which person of the Holy Trinity is specifically referred to by the word Lord in verse 22? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. No, actually not. As to the Lord Jesus. Okay? And the reason I say that, Tommy, is because what follows next, where wives and the church are compared to each other, and husbands and Christ are compared to each other. Okay, so, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So, we submit to Christ because he is our savior, as members of his bride, the church. We submit to him. What does that mean? We allow him to do some things for us. What are they? Save us. Save us. Just build on that. We allow him to do what for us? Forgive us. Die for, Forget, die for us. Forgive us. Sacrifice himself for us. So when we talk about the headship of the husband, you know, we tend all too often, and this is the way the world hears it, and all too many Christians, it's like, hey, woman, I'm the head. Give me another beer out of the refrigerator. That's not the kind of headship we're talking about. On the one hand, Jesus is the head of the church, right? And yet, how does he exercise his headship? He dies for his bride who is described like a harlot. That's sacrificial self-giving love, okay? Does anybody know the uh, Old Testament prophet who was called by God to give us a picture of Jesus' love for his bride, the church, literally uh, redeeming a harlot? Is that Ezekiel? Not Ezekiel. Hosea. First of the minor prophets. Hosea, how would you like to be this? He's a prophet. He is called by God to marry a prostitute. He marries the prostitute. He loves her. He cares for her. They have a couple of children. And then she goes back to her prostituting ways. So then what is he called to do? He's called to literally buy her back from the slave trader's block. He's called to redeem her. And then he 
you know, washes her and clothes her because she's become a, a mere shriveled up shadow of her former self. Okay, so he's, Hosea was called by God to do that, to give us an illustration in the Old Testament of what Christ had come to do as head of his bride, the church. So the exercise of headship is chiefly about sacrificing yourself in love for your bride. As it says here, the husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, as also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So in every way, the wife is called to allow her husband to love her, to care for her, to sacrifice himself for her, to forgive her, to shoulder her burdens. Do you remember we talked uh, in the past about masculinity and femininity within marriage? What is it to be masculine as a husband within marriage? Danny. Assertive position? To be masculine in the Christian marriage is chiefly about... Oh, I'm glad I asked the question. Sacrificing yourself for your bride. Forgiving your bride. Shouldering her burdens. What is it to be feminine in marriage? To receive those things. That's right. So to receive love, to receive forgiveness from the husband is chiefly what it is to be feminine in marriage. And so when it comes to family, a mother is called to give much. But her capacity to give to her children is enhanced and made possible to the extent that she receives from her husband. So there's an ordering in that giving and receiving. She does a lot of giving, but her giving is enhanced insofar as she is receiving from her husband. The husband gains fulfillment in giving to his wife and having her accept that. Just like Jesus' greatest delight is when we bask in his forgiveness and allow him to do that and rejoice in his love and in his word. Okay. So the same pattern holds true. Okay. So verse 24, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for, for her. There's the ultimate sacrifice. And why? What did it accomplish? 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. What is verse 26 referring to with this washing of water by the word, Alec? Yeah, baptism. So here you've got, he dies on the cross, he makes the ultimate sacrifice of love, and then through the washing of water in the word, he cleanses his church. Okay. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So the bride of Christ becomes beautiful, not by what she does, but what she receives. Just like Hosea's wife, do you know what her name was? Maybe this is why she became a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. Don't name your daughter Gomer. Give her some nice name like Mary. Don't, not Gomer. But anyway, uh, Hosea made her beautiful. You know, washed her, cleaned her, redeemed her, clothed her, fed her. There's nothing more beautiful than a woman who is absolutely, rapturously delighted with her man. Like the church is with Jesus and what he has done. So that's the picture. All right, verse 28. So husbands ought to love their wives, their own wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Notice now it goes back to Genesis chapter 2. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So notice how you've got a man leaving his father and mother, fourth commandment ordering, cleaving to his wife under the sixth commandment. The two become one flesh under the fifth commandment for the gift of life. Okay? This is a great mystery. And by mystery there, he means it's like a, uh, not something that is completely beyond our understanding, but something that is so rich with God's love and goodness that it's hard to fully exhaust the significance of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love and to live that out in marriage and family. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now there again, which person of the Trinity is referred to by Lord, especially? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. No, it's still Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, okay? It's not that that's wrong, okay, but in the New Testament, the primary confession of faith is Jesus is Lord. So when they have these references, you know, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's especially emphasizing the Son of God, our Lord Jesus. For this is right, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise it's the first commandment under the second table of the law that it may be well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So there's a benefit, actually, concrete benefit to honoring your father and your mother. A certain degree of long life and prosperity for you. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay, verse 4, third time I'll ask this. Who is especially being referred to as the Lord there? Jesus. Yes! Very good. See, third time is a charm. So, uh, do we as fathers have to use the law with our children? Yes. yes. But are we called to use the gospel of God's forgiveness with our children? Yes. If the only thing we ever do is law, pounding on them, pounding on them, pounding, there is exasperation, provoking them to wrath. Okay, I can never please dad. They need to understand that you are pleasing to your father because of his love for you that is unconditional. And of course, you know, that's anchored in the sacrifice of Christ for us. Right, so fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord Jesus. So you want to know how to be a husband, be a father? You look to the Lord Jesus in how he handles the word of God and demonstrates that self-giving sacrificial love. All right, that's the end of that reading uh, that I wanted to kind of go through and to see all of these connections back and forth with the gifts that God wishes to protect under the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandment. Any, any uh, comments or questions you want to ask about? Too much today? No? Okay. Uh, go to your hymnal. But you can see why marriage is hard enough to begin with and you can see how important it is to marry a spouse that shares your faith, your commitment to the Christian faith, so that there's a trinity in marriage, not only husband, wife, but then Christ. So receiving Christ, living in Christ together, learning how to confess your sins to the Lord and to one another together, significant. You know, going to communion together worshiping together, and then bringing up your children together. As I said, marriage is hard enough to begin with, let alone not to have that kind of foundation. All right, so what is the hymn? Um, 862.
O blessed the house, whate'er befall, where Jesus Christ is all in all. This is a Martin Luther uh, hymn in part, Christopher Karl Ludwig, but uh, it reflects Luther's theology. Okay. Oh, bless the house, whate'er befall, where Jesus Christ is all in all. A home that is not wholly his, how sad and poor and dark it is. Oh, bless that house where faith is found, and all in hope and love abound. They trust their God and serve him still, and do in all his holy will. Oh, bless the parents who give heed unto their children's foremost need, and weary not of care or cost, be none to them and have been lost. Oh, bless that house, it prospers well, in peace and joy the parents dwell, and in their children's lives is shown how richly God can bless his own. Then here will I and mine today a solemn promise make and say, Though all the world forsake his word, I and my house will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, our home is among the most precious gifts we receive in this life. We realize this all the more as we remember our Lord Jesus. He set aside home and family, having no place to lay his head throughout his ministry. He chose to sojourn among those who came, he came to save. We prayerfully invite him to dwell in our earthly abode, even as he continually invites us by word and sacrament to dwell forever in our heavenly home, which he prepares for us. Make us ever grateful for this shelter from life's storms. Keep our homes always as homes of comfort, joy, peace, and forgiveness, where husband and wife, father and mother and children live together in holy love. According to your will, protect us not only from the spiritual assaults of Satan, but likewise make our homes a fortress against the calamities of nature and the wickedness of sinful man. Grant us the virtue of hospitality, the joy of harmonious living, and the blessing of gathering around your word and bringing our family's prayers before you. May all who dwell in our home be blessed by your presence and your peace. And may all who go forth give thanks for the grace they receive from you through us, your dear children. We receive your loving kindness in our home as a reminder of the eternal home we inherit in Christ. Bless all of the members of our congregation, all of the young people. Provide them with godly Christian spouses according to your will and nurture them in the gospel of their Savior, Jesus Christ, that they all might live together in your love faithfully as men and women, husbands, wives-to-be, and future fathers and mothers. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Almighty and most merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, order our days and our deeds in his peace. Amen. April, who wants to do lunch? It's going to be, I believe, let's see, April, not the 9th, but the Sunday afterwards, which would be the 16th. So April 16th. Okay? You think you'll be gone by then? No, I'll probably just have duty that week. Okay. Then the weekend after that, I will be here. I think I'll be gone the weekend after that.
Any, uh, any lunch volunteers? The Sunday after Easter. You did September, didn't you? I believe we did. Can you do it? Tell Gabrielle she has to do it because she wasn't here today. Yes, penance, that's right. All right, that sounds good. All right, thanks, guys. You guys want any